welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. And ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Jerry Springer. I'm back. Millions of people. Jerry's back. Hey, by the way, Megan Hills. Uh, is dealing with some family stuff. Uh, sadly, her dog of a long time, of many years, died, and uh, and she she's involved in a move and stuff, and so she's got a lot of stuff going on. And yeah. so we said, hey, take care of yourself and your emotions about your dog, and so she'll be back. Uh, and by the way, we have back for another episode a guy that was on last week, Mike West from uh, Rock Ferry, or, or let's just say outside Liverpool. Uh, he grew up in Rock Ferry in uh, England, in, U- in the UK. And uh, when he comes back home, we'll ask him if he's if that's where he literally is now. But anyway, it's, it's in proximity to Liverpool, where the Beatles are from. Uh, Jerry didn't remember that the, I don't know that he remembered who the Beatles <laughs> were hey didn't you tell me one time jerry springer that you were on a plane with paul mccartney not too long ago a few years exactly yeah he literally as as flight attendant came up to you and said "Uh, mr mccartney would like to have a word is that true what happened i was flying back um it was in march in fact it was the day after saint patrick's day uh, back in uh 2018 and I was coming back from England on, I think it was British Air. And, uh, you, you know, they have they have the beds and it's dark because it's nighttime. Cause you, I don't you know what the hell you're talking about. I've never been <laughs> on an airplane where there's a bed. Well, that's right. You're back. I forgot you're back with the little people. Yeah. yeah anyway. Just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. So um, and you're sitting there and the cabin is totally dark. Yep. And uh, and you have a little light over your your bed and I'm sitting there reading and uh, over my shoulder, somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, excuse me, I asked the flight attendant if it was all right, if I just come up to you and are you Jerry Springer? So <laughs> I, I look up and I say, uh, yeah. And he says, uh, I'm... Uh, Paul McCartney, oh <laughs> and and I looked up, you know, because when does a Paul McCartney ever come up to you? Yeah. So after I wet my pants, I um, <laughs> I says that, oh my gosh, you know, we shook hands, and I said, have a seat because the compartments have like a jump seat right next, right. and we he was just the nicest. We talked 15, 20 minutes at least. Uh, he was telling me everything about what he what he was doing now. He was going to L.A. to um, record and uh, do a fundraising concert. And uh, but I mean, you know, it was like and the whole time I'm thinking, I can't ask him for a picture, you know, because it's just, <laughs> you know, it's it's like he was so gracious to come over yeah. and not be the big star that, you know, I don't yeah. go to people, they have to come to me. So I, you know, and of course I got hell when I got home, you were with Paul McCartney. You didn't at least get a, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a thrill for me because 
You know, oh man, that is that's I, that was our true. generation. I mean, we loved the Beatles, the Beatles, yeah. Yeah, the Beatles. There's no T in it. It's a Beatles. That's right. That's, that's how right. Ed Sullivan would say it. Yep. It they it was, uh, and we'll bring Mike West on here shortly. Uh, I had the same feeling when I met Mike West. I said, <laughs> yeah, right. "Oh my <laughs> right. God." Are you serious? And he's a singer songwriter and a good one, all all country style. uh, And uh, we're going to chat with him. But man, the uh, the Beatles were, I mean, you and I, Jerry, uh, were of a generation. We were in college in the mid 60s and the Beatles were happening right around then and right around then. That's when they were coming and 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 uh, obviously following. But there is this theory on that. And just take a moment with yeah. us. But there is this theory, and I made reference last week to it, that the assassination of John Kennedy yeah. turned out to be something that happened that played a role in the Beatles coming to America and being what they were. John Kennedy was assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. And for the next 30 days, there was officially a moratorium in America. And that meant that nothing else was played on radio stations. Back then it was all radio. There was no internet. Um, Everybody just played, you know, either classical music or whatever, but then nothing else was produced. The the music industry shut down in mourning and respect for John Kennedy, which at the time was like the most unthinkable thing that could ever happen. Uh, You know, major things have happened since, but back then the Kennedy assassination was, was the greatest shock. Anyway, but 30 days after November 22nd is three days before Christmas. So when the moratorium was over, the stations moved into Christmas music, of course. And then it's the holiday season. So there was no new music. And the stations now were grasping for something. Along came the singing nun. Yeah. The singing nun was a Swiss nun who recorded one song in her whole career. And it was called Dominique. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and for five weeks, it was number one on the charts. You yeah. can look that up of the Billboard charts. Number one song was this little ditty called Dominique in French. Now, finally, people just went crazy yeah, because it was cute <laughs> at the beginning, but that's all that was played. Yeah, now they and, play it for prisoners. They did, they yeah. use it in, down, you know, with yeah. the yeah. Well, terrorists, yeah, driving crazy. And then, because nothing was being produced in America, the Beatles had really made it big in England, of course, and probably other places in Europe. And so my uh, Epstein was his name. Yeah. Arranged for the Beatles to come to America. And in February of 1964, two and a half months later, three months later, 
we had the British invasion and then it was the Beatles and everything British because we didn't have anything American being made at the time. That is the connection between John Kennedy's assassination and uh, it's interesting and the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll get back to music. Yeah, I'm sorry. I went way off. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I'd never, I'd never heard that. By the way, uh, and it makes sense. And again, like I say, we, we both lived through that period, and I remember that song. I had a lot of trouble dancing to it. The, the beat was just not predictable. But anyway. Uh, Hey, there's something in the news, and you and I were chatting a little bit before the show. Uh, this football coach uh, from a, I think a public high school, and he takes a knee to pray. And that has become kind of symbolic in American sports. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, on the surface, it seems absurd. The Supreme Court has now said that it is taking up the case of a high school football coach, Joseph Kennedy, who at the conclusion of each game goes to the 50-yard line, gets down on his knees, and begins to pray. In the process, creating, in the words of a lower court judge, a spectacle of stampeding supporters and politicians rushing onto the field to join him. Significantly, this all takes place on taxpayer-supported public school property. Consequently, the school district then ruled, based on some 60 years of Supreme Court jurisprudence, that the coach is henceforth prohibited from any, and I'm quoting here, demonstrative activity that is readily observable to students and the attending public. The coach, protesting the prohibition, is now suing the school district, and the case has now made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. The district, in its defense, is adhering to legally established precedents, which are based on the theory that any outward display of religious activity on public school property puts peer pressure on kids and their families who happen not to subscribe to a particular religion. In legal terms, it violates the dictates of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, which prohibits the state from promoting endorsing or establishing a religion. Whether his praying at the 50-yard line does in fact violate this clause of the First Amendment will now be decided by the Supreme Court. But what grabs my attention in this long-standing school prayer debate is the inconsistency of the conservative position. It argues that no student is required to join in the prayer so any discomfort one may feel in watching other people pray takes a back seat to the constitutional right of every citizen to pray as he or she wishes. The irony in making this argument is that the very same people who make it are only too happy to stop kids from being taught or discussing America's racial history in school, because that may make, in this case, some white kids feel guilty or uncomfortable. Whatever, regarding the school prayer case, yes, the coach's desire to pray is clearly protected by the First Amendment's freedom of religion guarantee. And yet, that same amendment also guarantees each citizen the right to be protected from the state establishing or promoting any one religion or even religion at all. In layman's terms, it's the separation of church and state. So then 
How is this issue resolved? I would argue that the Supreme Court has long held that constitutional rights, even ones as sacred as freedom of speech, religion, and press, may always be reasonably regulated for what the court deems is a legitimate governmental purpose. Well, protecting the people's right to be free of the state promoting or endorsing religious activity on its property is obviously under our constitution a legitimate governmental purpose, if not a required one. So balancing these two competing rights, the coach's right to pray and the equally guaranteed right not to have the state promote a religious activity, I believe considering the particular facts in this case, the court should find for the school district and dismiss Coach Kennedy's suit. Let's be clear. His freedom of religion is hardly being impaired. No one's saying he cannot pray to God or thank God. Indeed, God doesn't only hear from us on the 50-yard line. It's obvious the coach just wanted to make a demonstration of his religiosity before a crowd. Well, he can, just not on public school property. He can still believe. He can still pray. It's just that the Hail Mary should be left to the quarterback. <laughs> good, good ending, Jerry. I love that. Hey, by the way, uh, high schools, on, on your whole point, high schools, uh, maybe elementary schools too, but high schools have become so politicized lately. And it's largely because of the right wing who, uh, you know, this, these discussions of critical race theory and, <clears throat> I don't know, a, a sure, load yeah. of stuff, but starting with that. So here's an update on a Cincinnati suburban school, which is largely single race, uh, largely Caucasian, almost totally. And uh, for six years, they have had this thing called Diversity Day. And it's pretty innocuous, and uh, it was voluntary, by the way. The kids weren't forced to go, and a good chunk of the school would choose to do it, to go to it in a day in May, and they would go to other rooms within the school complex, and uh, staff, parents, teachers had arranged a uh, program lasting most of the day that would be a series of workshops and talks from people from agencies who had knowledge and interest in diversity. So it didn't say, you know, this race is good, this race is not. I just talked about diversity. And in a school that's largely white, it might be useful to do that. Those kids aren't sure. going to get exposure within their largely single race neighborhoods, and they weren't getting it in school. So it sounds kind of innocuous to me. Yeah. especially parents had to sign a permission slip to let their kids go. The school board in this suburban district in Cincinnati uh, raised hell about this because four of the five were newly elected and they're all conservative. And there is a fifth board member who is very liberal and known to be. And the four new conservative school board members said, uh, we have to have a, a talk about this during one of their meetings. And they said, we have to postpone this. And some thought that meant that was tantamount to canceling it, but they said, no, yeah. we're just going to postpone it. 
because the permission slips are too vague. Parents don't really know what their kids are getting into when they allow them to go to this. So the superintendent wisely said, well, let's clean that up. And he got with his staff. There are two high schools in the district. This is only one of them. The other one doesn't even have this diversity day. They should, in my opinion. So he said, okay, let's fix the permission slip. Let's make it very specific and let's have the parents resign it. That all happened. So they set May 18th for the diversity day. Then Sunday, the school board met on a Sunday, an emergency session in which those four conservative school board members, to be honest, got kind of honest and said, no, we got other problems. It indicated to me that they were just using the permission slip as kind of a a dodge. And they said, uh, no, taxpayer money shouldn't be used to indoctrinate kids about diversity of of uh, valuing diversity more. All these became just political. Unbelievable. This is unbelievable. So now they have postponed it again. And now we know that it's canceled. There anything that happened. Isn't that amazing? It's that's where we are. How how can you be against your kids learning about diversity? diversity? I mean, what kind of a parent are you? How do these people have kids? I'm telling you, I, I'm with you. It's, it's really unbelievable. It's unbelievable. United States of America, you are not allowed to teach for one day about right. diversity. Voluntarily, by the way. Voluntarily. Yes. In other yes. words, if you don't you want can your even, kid to even Yes. Unbelievable. Now I'm stunned. I, I, I thought I have a subject for the next just, podcast. I'm going to ask you to send me that information. Okay. Yeah, okay. Jerry, that, In uh, Cincinnati, up, Ohio. Yeah, it's Turpin Hills really? High School. Now, now, by the way, uh, I, I, I tell you something. One, you know, you know this because we hang out together, and I, for about seven years, taught school politics to soon-to-be principals in the grad school of education. Xavier University, my alma mater. I got my undergraduate there. I got my master's in education through that same department. So I taught there as an adjunct professor this course. And on this point of what I'll call student power, I taught this course on first day, said, look, this course is all about who's got the power. Would you agree, Jerry, if you strip politics down to its bones, it really comes out to who's got the power, who's making the decisions, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it the mayor? Is it the council? Is it the president? Is it the school board? Is it the state department of education? Is it the parents? Is it the teachers union? We On the first day, would fill a whiteboard with all of these possibilities. And they always left out one. And I always made sure it went on the board because I would draw it out of them. Who do you think's yeah. got the power? And they'd rattle them off just like I am. And I said, students and these, you know, group of 20 uh, teachers sitting in front of me who were trying to become principals and taking this course as part of their curriculum said, well, kids don't have any power. And some of them would argue that they should. And I said, I'll be so sure that no one wants to tell them in school that they have any power because you don't want to unleash them. (laughs) Yeah. But here's the deal. 
these kids at this suburban high school, and I've been following the news reports on it, and I've already seen this uh, raise its ugly head. One of the kids said, who's lamenting that they spiked this program, is uh, we're going to do a walkout on May 18th. I mean, they've already begun to talk about it. And I was thinking, man, these kids. So let's talk about real fast. These kids in this school board, these four reactionary members. If these kids, and better yet, with parent support, said, I'm not going to school on May 18th. I'm going to mom call in sick for me or I'm just going to be a no show and we're all going to go and we're going to organize this. Are they going to do this? Uh, Well, I I don't know. I, I I wish they would, you know, they they get it. I'm getting excited about this. They could get a place. They could get all the speakers. They could have uh, parent supervision. They could ask uh, police to send a squad car to make sure nobody is harassed, you know, because it could draw attention and they could have the program. And would they get suspended? That school system can do that if they want. Now, I ask you something. If you're Tulane University, where you graduated, you got your law degree from Northwestern or me from Xavier, if I'm applying to college and I'm a kid and I got suspended for the reason I'm staying, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that, oh that's, that's an advantage. Exactly. That, that goes to as an advantage. Yeah. Yep. You, yep. you fought the, the system for yeah. something as uh, simple and you saw your reaction yeah. to it. So the, here's the point. The school board didn't think through really what they were doing. They were just politically masturbating. They were just feeling good about, we we can kill this diversity program. They don't, Jerry, control. They don't whether this program exists. The kids control whether this program exists because they can have it without the school board if they're willing to take their chances on the reaction to it. This is shameful. I mean, this is just what an embarrassment for Cincinnati. I have family that goes there and they just cannot believe it. You know, they already know they're an all white neighborhood. You go to the country club, it's all white people. Yeah. Of course they need some diversity. Oh, and by the way, uh, this you cannot I appeal to you do not see this as an isolated incident. I I appeal to you. You have to see what's happening at the moment in America. And and I'll put it in a nutshell. Absolutely. The Republican Party around. That's it. They have decided to bring these issues of passion uh, using yeah. schools and what they claim is indoctrination yeah. of kids as the hot button. A significant part of America wants America to be white. All, the way that it was is, in the 1950s, yeah. That is the truth. It's not a majority, the truth. thankfully, but it's a significant part. That was unleashed by Trump. But he didn't create it. It was there before him. It's been there. Well said, Jerry. Well said. Hey, by the way, before we bring Mike West in, we're excited about doing that from uh, England. I want to ask you one other thing. It's a serious question. Um, I think, uh, and I've told you this off air, 
that you should be uh, teaching a course somewhere. And I believe you could, you might have to do a little work to make contact and, you know, do a pitch <clears throat> talking about a university course. And if, and you are, I got this from you, I'm not making this up a course that would be a mixture of politics and media, because you have been a politician for many years, you know, politics, frontwards and backwards, you have deep understanding of American history, uh, and you have been a media person, including a news anchor and a commentator and a reporter. You're perfect for it. And there's any number of schools where I think they would grab that course. I also think, by the way, and we've mentioned this on previous podcasts, that I think it would get a lot of students as an elective <coughs> course because of your celebrity. You you would get kids and you'd have to deliver and make sure that they're yeah. learn from it and it's entertaining sure. enough, but you know, not a joke. It's got to be a serious course. And that leads to, I think you should and could and wish you would uh, write a book and maybe the two are linked up. Um, you ever thought about that? I mean, does that catch your interest even to go through the labor of writing a book, coming up with 12 chapters and how to organize it, et cetera? What do you think of that? Would I have to get up early? <laughs> Hemingway <laughs> always wrote very early in the morning. And then he got drunk at about uh, yeah. uh, one o'clock and stayed yeah. drunk until. Yeah, I may out. do it backwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I- I've thought about the the book thing. I mean, 20, 25 years ago, I wrote a book regarding, which mostly was about the show, which yeah, and all that stuff. But a political book, no, I haven't written that. And I'd be interested more in teaching. Gotcha. Uh, just because there's there's more of a reward. Yeah, the you process. The book, you know, if you're yeah. not Bob yeah. Woodward, if you're not there, yeah. <clears throat> I'm in the bookstore twice a week. I love, you know, yeah. like you. I mean, I just love books. The smell of them. I just, you know, I just love books. And, uh, but, you know, you, you spend two years writing a book and then, you know, you got nothing that's going to ever be remembered. You know, it's not, I'm not, I, I'm not at that level. The teaching, yeah, I would be interested in doing that. But that's yeah, a we, logistical issue, and uh, yeah, you know, so someone's got to want to hire you. So yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think um, I'm not sure I'm the one that's going to coach you through that, but uh, I I think you should do that, and I think it could be really good, and I think students could learn a lot. And so anyway, um, that's just I could teach in Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's bring in Mike West. Yeah, uh, you know what? Know something? I'll bet you and Mike. Well, first of all, let me tell everybody who Mike West is. He's singer songwriter. Been working at this heavy for the last six years. Uh, and uh, Mike, tell us first. You're joining us digitally, so you're in yep. England. Are you in Rock Ferry? You mentioned on the last podcast that that's where you grew up. Are you still there, literally, or you? It, no. So in the Rock Ferry song, I say this was where I born, but it's not where I'll die. And um, yes. so I moved five minutes up the road just to make sure that you know I hit the truth of that song. <laughs> so I'm in I'm in Wallace yeah, now. Exactly. It was easier to move than to change yeah. the lyrics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so but are you about five minutes away from Rock Ferry? Yeah, I'm literally up the road from it, yeah. 
All right. And all this is in the, Hey, by the way, uh, could you get a song called rock fairy uh, last episode? You can do a different song here in a minute. Uh, how many people do you have a sense of how many people are in rock fairy? Is it uh, how, what would you say? Um, I'm not Ten too th- sure. I think I can't even say, I know there's an arena in Manchester that I think holds about 30,000 people. And I think, there's something about I think new rock ferry in Birkenhead and surrounded towns is maybe that many people okay. have no no so, idea. Yeah, so football's a big deal, obviously. So football's yeah. a huge deal in England. So who do you root for in football? Well, much to the shame of my entire family, I don't support Liverpool or Everton or even Tramia Rovers, which is my home home team. But yep. yeah, so I just kind of sit on the sidelines and let them all kill each other over the football <laughs> instead. <It's laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, uh, soccer, as we call it here in the States, is uh, is growing. And in Cincinnati, and I live in the northern part of Kentucky, right across the river, and Jerry was mayor here and a city council member and a news anchor and all that. And we now have an MLST, Major League Soccer, FC Cincinnati. And uh, my son, who played soccer in his youth here in the States, says that we're still nowhere near the level of what you guys watch over there. But, um, but it is, it's, it's actually growing in the United States. I'm, yeah. You know that I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, t- we talked a little bit on the last episode about your style of music and uh, Jerry and I found it pretty fascinating alt country, alternative mm. country and the influences of some of those country artists over the years in England. And you mentioned that Rock Ferry, which is a little lighter than some of your other stuff, which you told me before the show is you know, a little on the dark side, which is mm-hmm. not bad to us. If it's good storytelling, mm-hmm. I don't care. But you referenced Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. And that's always cool to hear, isn't it, Jerry? Because Woody Guthrie's our era, yeah. actually yeah. 1950s. Yeah. And Jerry and I, Mike, grew up on, in our college days, late high school years, American folk music, Mm -hmm. Americana music. So we're talking about Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Kingston Trio, Mitchell Trio, et cetera. There were a lot of people. And uh, Woody Guthrie, and his son Arlo Guthrie, has gone on to have a huge career. And Woody Guthrie was sort of the grandfather of all those people. And... I was very happy to hear you reference him. So you mm-hmm. you knew about Woody Guthrie how? And how did he influence your music, would you say? Um, I can't even remember when I first heard him. It was, I started off as like a metalhead. Like I grew up on punk yeah. and metal from my dad. And then I remember reading an article about Robert Johnson uh, because of his influence and the story about the devil. So I started researching like Delta blues and getting heavily into that music. Nice. And then from there, it's if you know about Robert Johnson and then Howlin' Wolf, you know about Lead Belly. If you know yes. about Lead Belly, <laughs> you'll find out about Woody Guthrie. And it's those wow. type of songwriters oh, that yeah. really inspired me and are really interesting as part of not just incredible songwriters, but the legacy and history that surrounds them. That's cool. And by the way, uh, metal heads and uh, punk rockers i have been schooled on this over the years because like i say i came from folk music and and early rock and roll Mm. and then the beatles and you know etc and uh but there is a real relationship between punk 
and Americana music mm-hmm. and maybe old country and all of this stuff, storytelling yeah. uh, stuff. And I, I, when I learned that and figured that out, I thought that, that's really cool. And mm-hmm. I love hearing that Woody Guthrie ties into all this, as you just put it, and Lead Belly and those people, mm-hmm. because damn, dude, I grew up on that stuff. Those guys were saints to me. Mm-hmm. They were beyond yeah. musical people. They were important people. Wouldn't you agree, yeah. Jerry, that Woody Guthrie oh, was yeah. important to the culture? Yep. Yep. As and a it, working class voice. It's almost as if whatever group, I, I mean, music, popular music started out with musicians just singing and writing music for wonderful tunes, wonderful orchestrations. But then we figured out, or people figured out that music, uh, is a way for them to tell their story. And so it was country music, the music of the South, hard scrapple people that were, whether it, you know, people living in the coal mines of Kentucky or whatever would tell their story. Today it's rap music of an African-American community, which the music tells the story of what they're dealing with. Uh, and and it, just, it was the same thing with folk music came of, of a generation that was protesting, let's say, a war or but the storytelling, you know, rap music is the same as country music. It's, it it's a community telling what they yeah. have to deal with, Absolutely. what their real lives are like. And it dawned on me that the early singers, you know, of the 20th century, you know, with Sinatra, Bing Crosby. They were great, but it wasn't storytelling. It was no. just music. wonderful music. Sounds. Yeah. yeah. Sounds. Yeah. And now it's become so much more. And that's uh, really good, good, good for you. those dots. And back to you, Mike, what based on what Jerry's saying here, what it tell not to get too philosophical, but what do you feel is the mission of the songs you're writing? Why? What motivates you? Why are you writing song, these songs? And, well, it's the same thing as what you're talking about there. It's like, it's three chords and the truth. Yeah. Like, if you want to be in a yeah. punk band, you want to be in a folk band, that's the recipe, that's the integrity that you need to create an authentic story is those three chords and the truth. If I learn a fourth chord, I might get to make it to the big time, but for the time being, it's three chords and the truth to just tell my story and my experiences and what I think about things. With yeah. me, it was G, C, and D7. <laughs> There's a seven involved. Let me know. <laughs> <my pen. laughs> I, don't, I don't know any really sevens. That, yeah, I remember that's a G, the C, and the D7. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. Hey, uh, yeah, that is cool, Mike. Uh, so the song you're going to do tonight is called Mothman, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, so obviously with Rock Ferry, that's about my hometown in England. One of the things I love about country and folk is that American influence. And I love Bigfoot. I love the legend of Mothman from Point Pleasant in West Virginia. Britain doesn't really have the same level of like monsters. We've got Loch Ness and Boris Johnson. This is great. Boris Johnson. (laughs) So I've always been obsessed with those kind of American myths. And with Mothman, I really just enjoy the aspect of the fate of the tragedies that you can't really avoid. And that was my kind of in for this song is you can't 
escape things sometimes you just have to run headfirst into them and hope for the best and hope your life experiences will carry you on past those things so i wrote mothman to kind of reconcile that and also make it about an eight foot moth just because i thought that was a really fun concept that's great by the way do you believe in bigfoot or not i want to believe and I, I love whenever go I play. Ahead, believe. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not hurting anyone. And yeah. Yeah. But I love when people come up to me at shows and start saying they've seen something. And I think that's my favorite thing in the world is if there's an American in the audience and they have a Bigfoot story, I'll just buy them every drink in the bar until I can get to the end of this story. <laughs> great. That's great. All right. Here we go. Mike West from outside Liverpool in the UK singing Mothman. Man, 
and God laughs. All right, Mike, that's fantastic, man. It's really been good to get to know you and yeah. Uh, isn't isn't mike the you know the internet is amazing that we can do this and uh no it's awesome fact that we can link up with you and uh we urge our listeners you gotta check this guy out mike west and tell tell our listeners again uh, how they can find you including if anybody's near where you are where where you let's touch on this first are you performing anywhere locally now that covid is kind of getting a little more under control. Are you out and about and where might they hear you if they're in England? Yeah. So things are opening back up now. So I've got a gig in August opening for the Bridge City Sinners, who are a great American folk punk band. They're coming over for their first UK tour. So I'm opening for them in Bradford. I'm playing locally around Liverpool and Birkenhead. And then I'm heading down south for festivals. And, you know, I'll also play and literally if someone expresses interest, I will come and travel to play for you guys because that's the important thing is to just get to play music in front of folks very cool digitally where can people hear your music yeah so if you look on any streaming service search mike west go to my website which is mike333west.com you can find all my links there i've got my record on vinyl i've got everything on streaming service so i've got you covered on every platform okay i urge our listeners you gotta check this guy out he's it's very cool it's been great to talk to you uh taking us out on down by the riverside are jerry springer and tyler childers and his band